0: Join Anthony Esselin, John Warwick Montgomery, Beverly Yonke, Mark Haltoff, Ryan Anderson, Todd Wilkin, and yours truly for the fall 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference Friday, November 9th and Saturday, November 10th in Dallas, Texas. To learn more, register at issuesetc.org. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, August twenty eighth,
1: twenty eighteen. Oh man! I
0: looking at my notes here. How did I get this job? the looniest thing ever. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare, Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of really super-de-duper crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostolates and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical is far from biblical, far from what God's Word actually says, and it's just, in reality, a complete mess out there. Uh, Case in point, this episode of Fighting for the Faith. Um, Well, in fact, let's talk about what we're going to do, and let's just get to it, because it's so crazy. We're going to start off, uh, first half of the first hour, um, making a case for uh, a particular passage in Scripture as it relates to uh, a strong delusion. Yeah, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, in uh, in the book of Second Thessalonians, it literally says that uh, in the last days, preceding uh, the return of Christ, that God would send a strong delusion on people so that they will believe what is false. Yeah, that's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, actually. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me read the passage. Here's what it says in context. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come, "...let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion..." That's, by the way, the Greek word apostasy right there, apostasia, "...unless the rebellion comes first. "...and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God and proclaiming himself to be God. So do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things..." And you know what's restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Uh-huh. Um, only he who restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of, the mouth, uh, with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And so you can pay attention here because we're dealing with the biblical teaching regarding the Antichrist because he's the man of lawlessness. So, and here's what it says starting at verse 9. So, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs. Yeah, (laughs) false signs and wonders. Uh huh. So signs and wonders false is, uh, you know, you know the, this is the thing to look for as uh, part of the activity of Satan and, you know, the precursor of the arrival of a lawless one. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Verse 11, therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So we'll note then that, um, you know, preceding the uh, visible arrival of the man of lawlessness, whom Paul is describing here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, that preceding his uh, arrival will be the uh, ever-increasing activity of Satan with power and and false signs and wonders, which is exactly what we see in the charismatic and charismatic churches today, and that God would send on these people a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. And the only way I can describe what we're going to be covering in today's episode of Fighting for the Faith is really like straight-up 180-proof strong delusion stuff, the best way I could put it. So we're going to begin by uh listening to Amanda Wells, Amanda Wells. And this is a woman who I can only describe as obviously mentally ill. I mean, we're we're not we're not dealing with somebody who's, you know, got a full deck of cards, you know, there's only maybe 46 cards in her deck. And uh, you know, and that she's a she's a taco short of a combo plate. You kind of get the idea. And we're going to listen to her regale us with a story, a personal story, with no verification. But then she's going to steer into the resurrection appearance of Christ um, on you know on the day that he appeared to Thomas. Uh, We refer to him as doubting Thomas, although that's not exactly the right way to describe him. And she's going to literally make a claim that Thomas uh, put his fist in the side of Jesus and ended up glowing like a light bulb. And then she chastises the other apostles for not doing the same. I'm not making that up. You'll hear it for yourself. Then we will stay under the strong delusion category and listen to the uh, August 24th installment of Kat Kerr's podcast. Yeah, she has a podcast and. Unfortunately, I'm subscribed to it. It's an occupational hazard is the best way I can describe it. And in this podcast, she's going to be making the claim that God is commissioning weather warriors and uh, and who are going to be taking control of the weather and that this is part of some kind of apostolic mandate. Uh, if we have time, we're going to be listening to Lucas Connell. Uh, from the opening of his sermon titled Lost in Religion. And this is a guy who literally claims he's hearing directly from God, but in the opening of his sermon um, literally admits that um, he's mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm just saying that out loud. So, and then uh, second half of today's episode of the first hour, we're going to listen to uh, Daniel Zelli. Daniel Zelli is the right-hand man of uh, Catherine Runala there at Glory City Church down in, uh, I think it's Brisbane in Australia. And uh, we are going to be listening to a portion of his message titled, We Are Not Sinners Saved by Grace. And all I can say is that this is utterly delusional. I mean, this is as delusional as you get. Um, and so, uh, and then hour number two, we'll listen to another. Um, Sermon from Danielle Dixon in her um, New Apostolic Reformation sermon series, and this one's titled "New Apostolic Reformation Paradigm Shift." Paradigm shift. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I hope you are sitting down. uh, Assume the crash position. Take whatever thing, whatever steps are necessary to protect yourself because this is just some crazy stuff we're going to be getting to today. Let's play one of our warnings, and then we'll get right into it.
2: Warning. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith, Cranial Keyboard Embedment Syndrome, sinew Nasal Liquid Spewment Disorder, Steering Wheel Pounding Clenched Fist Strain, Continual Gaping Dry mouth atosis and Frustrative Disbelief Brain Explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended.
0: You've been warned.
1: Oh. hallelujah.
0: That's uh, Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda. So um, we are heading over to a, um, a, a church by the name of Partaker's Sanctuary, and this is down in Australia. And we're going to be listening to Amanda Wells. And what she is going to be saying in this sermon is straight up, Cuckoo, banana town, bonkers, crazy, stark raving, mad, crazy, and insane. On its face, none of it's biblical, none of it's verifiable, and it's just uh, uh, absurd. You know, from the word go, and everyone there is listening to Amanda as if she is literally. Plucking pearls out of heaven and handing them to, handing them them to them on a silver cloud. Yeah, I'm I'm not making that up, but the audio is a little tough to hear. But here's Amanda Wells.
2: You know, just a few months ago, I was in
3: England. Straight after I I got on a plane, almost after that women's uh, the women's event down here in Sydney. Went over, and I was everywhere around England. And on the second last day, I was there. Well, yeah, it was the second last day I was there. Preached in the morning, raced back. I said, do you mind if I just go back and get changed? Okay, before we had lunch. I don't know why I even said it, but I wanted to. Walked back, and there's about a million text messages from my, my daughter. Well, million is a, a woman's exaggeration. That was a, a number. Mom, ring home now. Ring home Urgently. I'm like, that means something is wrong. So I get on the phone. Hannah says, Mom, now I don't want you to panic. Don't you love it when they say that to me? Straight away, you're about to panic. I don't want you to panic. And the phone goes dead. Mom's panicking. I'm trying, I'm in him. I'm in him. I am not panicking. Phone work! Finally, the phone works. They're in hospital. They're FaceTiming me. Dad's in hospital. What's wrong with him? He's coughing up blood, can't breathe. They say it's pretty serious. So I'm trying to get on a plane, go home, find out that he's got a thing on his lung. He's got a spot, hot spot, they called it, on his lung. Had to have PET scans, had to have everything. aside from asbestosis, which we didn't even know he had. Bless Sydney for giving that to him. For blessing him. <sighs> he also had this hot spot that they said was cancer. You know, we could have been shaken. Every morning I got up and I said, We had a communion today. Come on, we're, we're doing communion. We, we sat there and had communion with everything water, milk, cereal, whatever it was, chocolate. I had communion. And I- uh,
0: so you had communion with everything. Did, did you go to a store to purchase communion? What are you talking about here?
3: I had with oil every day. Kids came over, anointed him with oil. You know, last Friday, the doctor looked and said, because they had to wait and wait wait, they couldn't tell. He said, It's not cancer. Wow. Yay! In here! They got
0: to look from the inside out. He- Alright, so because she had communion every day and anointed him with oil, you know, the, it wasn't cancer. So they, they dodged the bullet here. We do
3: all eternity. Opens up to you, in. Do you know, that's the first word in the Bible, in, in the beginning. Do you know what in means? It means this, the past and the present have their fulfillment in the future.
0: That is not what the word in means. And it's not what the Hebrew word "beh" means either.
3: man. Thomas, go in.
0: So, all right, so she's talking about Thomas, the, you know, doubting Thomas, from the Gospel of John, chapter 20.
3: And all you and I went through, Thomas, now has its fulfillment in the future. Thomas, you will be the first person to be in Christ. Do you know that Thomas, they say, doubting
0: Thomas... So she's saying, making the claim that Thomas, doubting Thomas is going to be the very, very first person in Christ.
3: Oh, who said that? I can't wait to get to heaven to find out who it was. Which one of you said it? Do you know, Thomas, he was one of the missionaries to India. And you know, all these Buddhists were standing around wicking up water in the lake. He said, what are you all doing? They said, we're giving it to our God. If it stays up there, it means our God has received it. He said, well, what's happened? Our God isn't receiving it. He said, I'll show you a God that does. He flicked the water up in a bucket, he threw it up in the air, and it stayed there. And he said, that God, our God, Jehovah God, Jesus Christ,
0: yeah, I'm not sure what miracle she's referring to. Uh, it's not in the Bible, by the way. So uh, I would say it's probably spurious in its um, origin. It has received it! Thomas, I'd like to see some of you do that. I'm practicing. You know, He we went in Christ. If I, I hope I'm not upsetting you yet. I have mean, got to the good part. Notice there was no
3: blood. Because now, in Christ, there was glorified
0: light. Thomas... In Christ, there was glorified light, she says. Yeah, so the uh, second appearance of Christ in the upper room, uh, you know, literally a week after his resurrection, so it would be the following Sunday. She is making the claim that inside of Jesus, there was glorified light.
3: The first person to touch and be in.
0: Glorified light. So Thomas was the first person to touch and be in glorified light. a,
3: putting, putting, I mean, that's not just putting a hand into, into something. When he put his hand in Christ, suddenly Thomas became like Jesus.
0: Um, She's claiming that Thomas put his hand inside of Jesus' side and became suddenly like Jesus.
3: Since that day it was removed from Adam. The moment, darling Thomas, put his hand in Christ, darling ceased to exist, because natural laws cease to exist. When you're
0: so natural laws cease to exist once he put his hand inside of Christ.
3: In Christ, when you're in him, poverty ceases to exist. Sickness ceases to exist.
0: And they're saying amen to this. This is patently absurd. And
3: they cease to have influence in your life. We see no other disciple. Can you imagine? I want you to imagine. Sometimes our brains are so Sunday school. Imagine Thomas puts his fist into the side of Jesus. That was enough. But he puts himself into christ he gets transformed now there's two of them glowing like like a light bulb
0: so thomas and jesus after that both of them were immediately glowing like light bulbs really okay um let's take a look at the text by the way in question Uh, John chapter 20, starting at verse 26, eight days later, uh, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "'Peace be with you.' So then he said to Thomas, "'Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe.'" And Thomas answered him. It doesn't say that Thomas actually touched him, by the way. It doesn't say he did those things. He was invited to touch Jesus. And it says Thomas answered him, Hakurios mu kaiha theos mu, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You'll note there's nothing there about Thomas and Jesus now glowing like light bulbs, and what Amanda Wells is saying here isn't even remotely biblical or sane. This is delusional, like strong delusion. Second Thessalonians two delusional of what we're what we're listening to, and the people there again, are amening this, thinking that this is the greatest Bible teaching ever.
3: Not one other disciple ran up and did it. Not
0: one other. Right. None of the other disciples went up and put their hands in Jesus' side and began to glow like light bulbs the way Thomas did. When I am
3: in him, I can discern today through the eyes of yesterday, and then we can come into agreement
0: with our future. Uh-huh. Yeah, so now we can come in agreement with our future. Yeah, this is just nonsense. Gobbledygook, gibberish, It's these are empty words. None of this is biblical. None of this actually happened or took place. Talking about Gobbledygook, still under the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange syndicate, uh, let's check in with the podcast for Kat Kerr, uh, where she is making the claim that uh, God is commissioning weather warriors. Yeah, here we go.
4: Okay, today we are going to discuss something that I know you've talked quite a lot about, but this, I'm excited about it.
2: It's weather warriors. Yes, it's about time yes. they have arrived. <laughs>
4: yes, because I know. We've been talking about the scripture where it says the earth groans.
2: In Romans 8. Yes. Mm-hmm. For the manifested sons and daughters.
4: So what does that mean?
2: Uh, that means... Does that mean it's the end times? No, it does not. Okay. It's the end of the way we've been living. And
0: All right. So we're going to note she's referencing Romans 8, claiming that uh, it's time for the manifested sons and daughters to appear on the earth, and that this is exactly what she's doing by teaching people to become weather warriors. And here's what Romans eight eighteen, starting at verse 18, says, "'I consider that the sufferings of this present time "'are not worth comparing with the glory "'that is to be revealed to us. "'For the creation waits with eager longing,' For the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. In the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Yeah, this is talking about when Christ returns. The revealing of the sons of God will occur at the resurrection with the redemption of our bodies. That's what Paul is saying. Kat Kerr, as delusional as she is, and her co-host on this podcast shares in this strong delusion, 180-proof delusion, is literally arguing that, oh, no, this this is for now. This is something that is occurring as we speak. God is beginning to manifest the sons of God, you know?
2: Uh, Does that mean it's the end times? No, it does not. It's the end of the way we've been living. And also that includes the weather warriors. It's going to be the end of the way they're living. And the end of the way the enemy, Satan, has been ruling in the weather all around this world. It's changing right right now. And so the weather warriors is something that God came up with himself. And he has appointed this time to wake them up. Let them understand about their authority and dominion that Christ himself had when he stopped the storm. And He then you all know, he said that what I've done, you can do and even greater works. And so God really desires to have weather warriors who choose that to take all authority and dominion over the weather, no matter what type of weather it is. I know we're going to talk about a few of those things in a, in a few minutes. But we really can affect the weather in this earth, especially destructive weather. Yeah, You know, we shouldn't tolerate it. And so people who stand up and start declaring against it and and taking authority over it, God calls them weather warriors.
0: Awesome. All right. So God calls them weather warriors because, you know, Jesus took control of the weather. So he wants us to do the same things. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, we covered this last year. None of the weather warriors were actually successful in their weather worrying yeah, uh, all the hurricanes that they were speaking to and striking and doing stuff with, including the wh- hurricanes that Kat Kerr was taking authority over, they all did their destructive work uh, unabated is the best way I could put it. They weren't even slowed down in the slightest. And so for her to sit there and say, this is what God wants, God wants us to do, um, this is a woman who's utterly failed at her weather worrying. Now, important to note here biblically, um, the Apostle Paul, who clearly demonstrated th- that he possessed a true apostleship from Jesus Christ, performed the signs of an apostle in his lifetime and even raised somebody from the dead, healed many people of many diseases and ailments, so much so he can send handkerchiefs. That he had uh, blessed and uh, send them to people who were sick and they would get healed. The apostle Paul himself did not have the ability to control the weather. Isn't that fascinating? Acts chapter twenty-seven gives us an account. Uh, the apostle Paul is being transported to Rome as a prisoner, and he's on a ship. And here's what it says: Acts twenty-seven thirteen. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchored and they sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind, called the nor'easter, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. And we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven uh, along. Since they were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned uh-huh and this went on for days and weeks and the apostle paul was in the ship the entire time why didn't they just stick him up on the poop deck and have him take authority over the nor'easter you know or or this you know this this hurricane that came up answer because nowhere are christians given authority to do this and Christ does not want us to be weather warriors. And I would note the people claiming to be weather warriors, they are awful at it. They are the most unsuccessful lot on planet Earth. I mean, the L.A. Clippers from the 1990s and 80s uh, had a better shot at, at winning you know, the, the, the world championship than these people have at actually successfully turning a hurricane away. But we continue.
4: So can you touch a little base on who, who has the authority to be a weather warrior? What, what do you have to, like, can a nominal Christian try to do something like that? Or, you know, I mean, you, you have to have, you have to know who you are in order to have
2: that authority. You really do. Um, Most Christians don't realize who they are actually, and what that means for them and their authority. But Jesus said, until he comes again, to occupy. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that... Word...
0: Yeah, how sad that neither Peter nor Paul actually obeyed Jesus regarding occupying. And, and there was Paul on that ship being tossed on the Mediterranean. And the whole time he could have just occupied and taken authority over that uh, <clears throat> that storm. Uh, how sad that he missed that.
2: The word occupy doesn't mean occupy the sofa. get the the channel selector out to watch tv all day that's not what he meant by occupy and don't sit on your rapture rug waiting to be rescued because we are
0: what's a rapture rug
2: rescuers ourselves. okay we stand in the gap we take authority and uh and dominion and when he said occupy he meant like take territory take spiritual territory but also the natural territory and and in the word it says god said let us make man in our image And then he began to list the things we had dominion and authority over. And one is the air, the land, the air, the creatures on the earth. And it was our right. So, number one, you need to be a believer. You have to be a believer in Jesus Christ to think that you can take authority over the weather. Because Christ is the one who said, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. He also said that even the things I do, you will do and greater will you do. And even in the Romans 8 where it talked about the manifest of sons and daughters. Those are sons and daughters of God who recognize who he
0: is. Yeah, by the way, like I said, uh, this woman claiming, well, it, Jesus said we're going to do greater works than he did. She failed miserably last year, you know, struck out with all the hurricanes that she took control over. They all did their, their damage to the U.S., and they never turned away despite her decreeing and declaring over them
2: that they should. Is who demonstrate and manifest the way they live their life and the choices they make according to what God wants. And so, yes, you have to be a believer. And it's like anything else, you grow in it. Yeah. Like your faith grows, your authority. So maybe
0: she's grown better at it this year as opposed to, you know, what happened last year.
2: Levels grow, uh, as, as I've shown people before, the revelation on the priests, the lords, and the kings... Those are eternal levels of authority to operate in. And any believer can pursue those. It might mean you need to make some changes in your life. But if you never step out, if you never start taking authority, and it might not work the first time you take authority over a storm. Yeah,
0: yeah, it might take some practice, you know.
2: Flood, or even the fires, which we recently also dealt with in California.
0: Yeah, in Redding. You know, the whole city of Reading was evacuated. Bethel, all their decreeing and declaring wasn't able to keep that from happening. In fact, from what I understand, you know, there are people who attend Bethel, whose houses were burned down in the fires in Reading.
2: You have to start somewhere, and then you begin to make a difference. And especially as we come into agreement, as the body of Christ and do it, it is going to be extremely destructive to the plans of the enemy trying to use the weather.
4: Now
0: what if you uh Yeah again this is just utterly delusional. Uh, there is no other way to describe this than completely delusional because scripture doesn't teach any of this and you know this is a woman who wasn't able to send a single hurricane away last year who's telling us that we're supposed to be doing that and she's twisted God's word to make it say something it doesn't and ignored the fact that even Jesus' own apostles were incapable of controlling the weather, and they were not weather warriors. Now, to end off this uh, first half of the first hour, uh, we're heading down to uh, C3 Church San Diego and special guest Lucas Connell, and I want you to listen just to the opening of his sermon and note that he claims he's receiving direct revelation from God, but also listen to what he also says, which should immediately alert us to, this guy ain't hearing from God, there's something else going on here. Listen to this.
5: So God is good, and I want to—I really got a word that I feel is going to do some some real good stuff, and it's a new word that God has put in my heart over the last couple of weeks. And, so know,
0: there's a new word God's put it in his heart the last couple of weeks, this is... Lucas Connell in his sermon Lost in Religion, and listen to what he confesses about himself.
5: Before I get there, just for those that haven't heard my story, I uh, was on drugs uh, pretty bad from 13 to 23. I use drugs almost every day of my life. Uh, at 16, I took an acid trip uh, at a house where without involved in uh, satanic worship. I was tormented by demons for three hours while I was unconscious. That experience at 16 left me with what psychologists would have diagnosed as drug-induced psychosis. Where the-
0: All right, so he's admitting that his... More than a decade long of extreme drug use and using LSD that he would have been diagnosed with drug-induced psychosis. And he's claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God right now. But listen to a little bit more of the story.
5: Television would speak to me. The radio would speak to me. Uh, I was suicidal. I almost took my life at nineteen. But I had an auntie that prayed for seventeen years, never stopped.
0: So the television would talk to him, and the radio would talk to him, and uh, and he's it readily admitted. That, you know, psychiatrists would say he suffers from drug induced psychosis, and yet he's taken the stage at C3 Church and is claiming. That God is talking directly to him.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, talk about a strong delusion. This man should be nowhere near, you know, you know, a, a you know a teaching venue for you know that Christians would be attending, because he clearly still suffers from drug induced psychosis. And rather than the television and the radio talking to him, he claims that God is directly talking to him. And that should just alert you to, wait a second. It's, it's literally as if, you know, what's happened in Christianity is that those who are demonstrably shown to be mentally ill are now the ones teaching and preaching. And the reason for that is because that is exactly what is happening. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Empire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Empire Christian. Quick break. When we come back, long segment, Daniel Zelli of a Glory City Church, right-hand man of Catherine Manala says, we are not sinners saved by grace. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
1: No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
3: This is the air I breathe. This
6: is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, for photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio) <coughs>
7: Holidays Birdcage Theater presents Church Day
6: Select. Deep in the Af australian wilderness, and also the typhoid-infested waters of the Bongo River, Captain Worthington and his ragtag group of men have found themselves to be hopelessly lost. Surrounded by the vicious savages of the Himuku tribe, and now the TP has run out. It's been 27 days without food, and Private Jenkins doesn't count. Oh, do shut up, Nigel!
7: We don't need you narrating every little thing that goes on! It's bad enough already, we don't need you reminding everyone about it!
6: Sorry.
1: Now, gentlemen, we, the hour is dire. There's not much hope of us getting out of this predicament with our lives, or sanity. What are we going to do, Captain? Well, we can do one of two things. We can either die in a blaze of glory, charging the Hibuku tribe in battle, or we'll sit on the riverbank saying to ourselves, Oh, mommy, mommy, please make the bad people go away.
6: I
7: vote for the second one. Shut the noise, you pansy! Now, Captain, I have an idea that might just save our hides from the impending doom on the other side of the tree line. Well, out with it, man, out with it. I happen to have... In my possession, a copy of Zondervan's latest book, The Grimoire of Modern Prayer.
2: Well,
1: that's excellent news. We have TP again! ha ah! Woo-hoo. No, 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 we're not using it for that. Then what exactly are we using it for? Hey, uh, it
7: says this. With this volume, you can command and control the very will of God with relative ease. Oh! Uh-huh. Uh, get... Are you sure we can do that? Well, the, the book says we can. Is there any proof? Well, Stephen Furtick did write the introduction where he explains how it's changed his life. Well, um, how does it work? Simple. We can choose from any one of these prayers. (laughs) Cap, Cap, Worthington! approaching!
1: Blasted Perkins, get your act together and start reading from that book. It's our only chance. I don't know which one to read first.
7: Uh, Which ones do you have to choose from? Well, there's the uh, Ascenting Prayer, the Circle Maker Prayer, the Prayer of Jabez. The, The
1: Circle One. Let's go with that one.
7: Okay, the book says to draw a circle around what you're praying for Well,
1: that's us Quick, men, draw a circle in the dirt around us
7: Step two, begin to pray for whatever it is that you're in need of
1: I really want a Ferrari A Ferrari, you nitwit, we need protection Now pray, audaciously
6: Oh, Lord, we We are not going to leave this circle Until you rescue us from our
1: enemies Amen. Amen Are you sure? Pretty sure, unless he can breathe without his head being attached to his neck Oh dear, well there goes our narrator What are we going to do, sir? Well the circle player didn't work, so let's try something else Packins! Working on it, sir, I I think I got it I, I don't believe it's a... The Habuku the Drive... They now have catapults! Jumping Jehoshaphat! This next prayer had better work, Perkins! This one will work. It's the, uh... It's the sunset Sand, snow Prayer. What good will that do?
7: It's in the middle of the night! It doesn't matter what you think. This is sure to work. We just have to have audacious enough faith to ask God for the impossible. You heard the man get praying.
6: I still want a Ferrari, a pet raptor, uh, no gets... In better sex. You're
1: just not getting this, are you,
6: c- 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 Captain?
1: They, 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 they no, now, have, have, the, the, cannons! Well, this is impossible. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> yeah, God! Yeah, yeah, yeah.
6: Boy, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no.
0: Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that there are a lot of people who are being judged by God and are delusional. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons, one says donate, the other says join our crew, the other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at twenty four ninety five a month. From there, Master Gunner at forty nine ninety five a month, and then quartermaster at ninety-nine ninety five a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you would like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And if you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can do so by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here. Without it, moving along.
3: Gene, what do you want to do tonight?
7: The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. The brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One it's is a genius, the
0: other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're pinky. They're Pinky and the Brain 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 brain. Before, Before each night is
1: done
0: All right, so we're heading to Heritage of Faith Church on the Gold Coast of Australia and uh, listening to their guest speaker, Daniel Zelly. And Daniel Zelly is the right-hand man of Catherine Runala of Glory City Church in Brisbane. And we're going to note that uh, what we're going to hear is really a dangerous doctrine, and he's going to be making the case. The name of the sermon, by the way, is Not a Sinner, saved by grace and no joke he is going to be making the case that we no longer sin as christians and that people who believed that they are sinners saved by grace that they are that they that is keeping them from being able to operate in the miraculous operations and miracle gifts the way jesus did i'm not making that up let's get to it here is daniel zelli
5: do we have things that we believe They cause us to act in a certain way. Well, what I'm going to share share with you tonight is what I believe is the single biggest lie that Christians believe that stopped them from moving and acting as Jesus did on this earth.
0: Yeah, and moving and acting as Jesus did on this earth is, is, you know, operating in like miracles and stuff, raising the dead... You know, giving sight to the blind and stuff—that's the way Jesus operated. And the, you know what's keeping you from doing that? According to Daniel Zeli, it's the belief that you're a sinner saved by grace. I'm not making that up. That's literally his argument. Are you interested? No. Are you sure? Yes.
5: You're very inquisitive. <laughs> I can see you're just hanging on the seat there. It's all good. What you believe determines what you do.
0: What you believe determines what you do? Uh Uh-huh.
5: Wow. I've got Italian background. I understand Catholic sort of thinking very well. And Catholic sort of thinking says this. I believe Catholics can believe in Jesus Christ and go to heaven. I believe it. I'm not bagging the Catholics out. I'm just trying to point out. Inconsistencies or lies that Christians might believe that causes a certain action, and there's is, is people in Pentecostal churches. I'm afraid to say even believe lies that change the way that they live. All right. So there's Catholic beliefs. They believe that you've got to earn your salvation. There's five means of grace in order to get salvation, and so um, you've got to do all these things, like take Eucharist. You've got to have confession. You've got to do all these things in order to become Saved or become Christian, you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to do that.
0: Now, real quick, I just want to make a point, and that is, is that he's describing um, not a, a, a proper understanding of the means of grace, but the Roman Catholic belief in what's called ex opera operato. That is, is that they believe the the means of grace work because you, they work by doing the work. Yeah and it's this weird thing that they believe it's called ex opera operato and yes rome is a legalistic system but belief in the means of grace you know for instance lutherans believe in the means of grace presbyterians and certain calvinists believe in a proper you know at least in some sense in a, in the means of grace and believing that god works through means doesn't automatically throw you into a legalistic camp so what uh, zelli is saying here is is based upon his misunderstanding of the means of grace. The issue is is the Roman Catholic dogma of ex operato as it relates to the sacraments.
5: In fact, that's why they rush people to uh, when they're dying to have communion because they want to make sure that they're saved. That's why they uh, immediately when a baby gets sa- uh, born, they want to get them baptized and because they want to make sure that they're saved because baptism is a means of grace, communion is a means of grace, and you can do all these acts, this act and that act and that act, and if you do all these means of grace, the access of grace, then you can be saved. And out of that comes a thinking that we've got to earn our salvation. That we've got to do this and we've got to do that in order to gain our salvation, to gain a means of grace. And so this is a thinking Yeah,
0: gaining salvation is basically turning the means of grace into a work, which they are not, and that's one of the problems with Rome.
5: That would you believe is still prevalent today. People think in order to move in the miraculous, in order to move according to, as Jesus did, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that now, they've I've got, got
0: to point this out. He, he he can sit there and talk and say that, uh, you know, we as Christians are supposed to operate in the miraculous the same way Jesus did. Daniel Zellie can't walk on water. And Daniel Zellie has not raised anybody from the dead. Uh, Daniel Zellie and Glory City Church do a fine job of Of declaring people healed of invisible ailments, but they have yet to actually have somebody who's a quadriplegic on camera with evidence get out of their wheelchair and walk. So remember, Jesus in Mark chapter 2, they lowered a guy through his roof, you know, and brought him, you know, Jesus lowered him through his roof, and Jesus literally, literally, you know, gave that guy the you know, healed him so that he got up and walked, took up his mat and walked, and so um, he he can sit there and say, "Oh, the the big hindrance here to keeping you from doing Jesus quality works, and they're not doing them, and that's the idea." These people are delusional if they think that they're actually performing apostolic and Jesus quality miracles. And the thing that's keeping them from doing that, or keeping people from doing that, is because. They believe they're sinners saved by grace. Uh, the, 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 again,
5: delusional here
0: at this point.
5: Do something. They've got to be a certain way. They've got to earn it in some some way, in order to have means of grace, in order to act in the supernatural. So, if I want to be, you know, see healing happen in a life, I've got to fast for so many days in order to get God's, you know favor and in order to uh, twist god's arm i've got to earn that favor in order to operate in the supernatural or i've got to do things like give extra offering if i want to see you know um things happen in my life well i've got to go to church more i've got to pray more and i and if you come to a pentecostal church you've got to give more and then you can be saved you can see things happening this is all lies, by the way. I'm not preaching this. I'm just getting excited about what people should not believe, right?
0: Yeah, and I agree. People shouldn't believe that somehow they can earn God's favor, earn miracles or healings or answers to prayer by tithing or doing so, you know, so many good works. That's expli- explicitly taught against, it, you know, in Scripture in Galatians chapter three. But the solution he's going to offer is not the gospel. In fact, it's a twisting of Scripture that is demonically deadly.
5: And so we have these lies uh, happening in our our day and age, and so we want to squash those lies. Mm. And we do that by looking at the person of Jesus. It says this about Jesus. John one twenty nine. It says that Je- John saw Jesus coming, and he said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world."
0: Now, a little bit of a note here uh, that would have been understood in like the Old Testament sense: uh, a sacrificial lamb that takes away sin. That's that sacrificial lamb is a substitute. It's an offering, you know. Yeah, and so sins are put on to sacrificial animals and. They are and they take away the people's sins because that lamb or that bull or that goat is a substitute for the person. So what he's doing is he's taking this the the you know, the what John the Baptist said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he's not properly understanding in which sense Christ takes away our sin.
5: Jesus takes away sin. Indeed. So anybody who comes to Jesus has sin removed from their life. What do you mean by that? Jesus saves us from sin and doesn't leave us in it. There's a saying that says we're sinners saved by grace. Here it comes. I challenge that tonight. I actually believe that's old thinking.
0: Uh, That's exactly what Scripture teaches, by the way.
5: Are you a sinner saved by grace? Yes. Or are you a saint?
0: (laughs) The answer is yes, I am also a saint.
5: You used to be a sinner, but is no longer a sinner? And you're a saint who lives under grace.
0: Yeah, somebody's saying amen. Now let's do a little biblical work here. And we'll, we'll, we'll note that Scripture doesn't teach these things. We'll start with Jesus, by the way. So Luke chapter 11, Jesus was praying in a certain place, uh, when, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. You'll note here by having teaching us to pray for daily bread, how often are we to pray this prayer? Daily at least. Give us each day our daily bread and then watch this and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So Jesus taught us to pray daily, forgive us our sins. Hmm. Well, that's a weird thing to teach Jesus's disciples to pray. And then they taught us to pray that and to pray it daily, forgive us our sins. It's as if Jesus is expecting that uh, we are in need of uh, being forgiven of our sins on a uh, daily basis. And the reason for that is actually quite simple. We are. In fact, 1 John makes this case very clearly First John, written to Christians, Christ, written to Christians, says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he, that's God, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar, and his word is not in us. In other words, Daniel Zelli delusionally right now, is literally making God to be a liar. And by the way, this is also in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Mm-hmm. Not a single person on planet Earth is that way. And then, of course, the great Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 7, describing the normal Christian life, um, says this, uh, starting at verse 7. So what then shall we say, that uh, the law is sin? Well, by no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin "...seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And the very commandment that promised life proved to be death uh, to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good." So did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. Now, if I do the things I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good so it is now, so it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the, uh, the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells Of sin. And then chapter 8 of Romans actually gives us the wonderful resolve. Uh, uh, chapter 8 says this There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. In other words, Christianity, the Bible teaches that Christians are sinners and saints at the same time, that they have a regenerate nature. They also have their sinful nature that they must deal with on a daily basis and mortify and put to death along with its passions, and that in the resurrection we will no longer sin. But in the here and the now, we wrestle against our sinful nature. We are sinners and saints at the same time, and the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 does a fantastic job of explaining that, which is the reason why, then, John himself, writing to Christians, says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So you'll note that Daniel Zelley is self-deceived, and he's making God out to be a liar with this doctrine that he is teaching, which is not biblical.
5: Come on, Abby, you and me, we believe in the same thing. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen? No. But I would challenge you. Well, we're in a nice meeting now, we all see the prophetic move, we've seen healings happening, we're all excited, we had great music, such good music, worship team, wherever you are, very good, and we're all excited at the moment, so it's easy in this environment to say, amen, brother, but I challenge you, do you really believe that you've been completely set free from sin? This one point, have I really been set free from sin? is the one point that holds most people back. Because although they confess with their mouth, yes, Jesus set me free, hallelujah, praise Lord, they say, if you only really knew who I really am.
0: Yeah, that person is describing real sins that they really are committing, and they're feeling real guilt for that. And they need to be pointed to like 1 John 8-10. through If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You see, there's still mercy and grace in Christ and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That was written to Christians.
5: And what I struggle with, I'm not really set free, but I'll put on a good show because I'm in an environment which says that I need to say that. But deep down in my heart, I have a earning and I have I have something going on inside that says, I know my life.
0: And because of that... Yeah, and rather than pointing them to Christ, pointing to them to the forgiveness of sins that is offered to all of us, you are going to instead, and watch what he's going to do here, teach these people to deny that they are sinners. This cuts them off from the gospel, by the way completely cuts them off from the mercy and grace of christ and it tells them to embrace a delusion oh i'm not a sinner nope i'm not a sinner nope 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 that's not the solution folks that scripture explicitly says that person is self-deceived
5: unconfessed but very real self-talk inside when people go to pray for people to be healed they say, Jesus was without sin, but I know my life. Maybe God won't bless me. Maybe I don't deserve to pray for this person. Maybe I don't, I'm not worthy to pray for this person and see their healing. It was just me, or was it everybody really quiet? Why are we so quiet?
0: Yeah, because you're teaching heresy. That's the reason why. Rank heresy. Rather than pointing them to Christ, having them confess their sins and be forgiven, you are instead going to teach them to deny that they are sinners, which is cutting them off from Christ.
5: Manja, manja, manja. Be happy. <laughs> Probably hitting, I'm, I'm being very real with you. I thought this way. Had a heart for God, had a heart of God since I was age 14. I wanted to enter the ministry. My dad wouldn't let me for two reasons. Number one, Bible college wouldn't take people under the age of 17. Second reason, he thought I was too young. But I had a heart for God all my life. Wanted to serve God. But strived upon inner battles and struggles feeling that oh, I need to push harder, I need to do more, I need to give more, I need to sacrifice more, I need to die to self more in order to do... It
0: sounds like you were taught legalism and self-righteous legalism, but the solution to self-righteous legalism is not to deny that you're a sinner. No, it's to hear both law and gospel. You were cut off from the gospel under legalism, and you're cutting people off from the real gospel now
5: more for god i need to do this and i need to do that and it was under a works-based performance mentality that i entered in christianity and i didn't believe it. i used to look at the superstars and say wow look at them they must be so holy but i'm not holy so therefore i can't really pray for people i would pray god you give us a you know um you know help us out do something just to, just to, just heal that person then don't look at me look at them <laughs> you know mercy god mercy and that's the way I preached. Healing sounds very victorious, doesn't it? That's sarcastic. It's supposed to be a sarcastic joke. It's supposed to laugh. <laughs> That's right? a sarcastic joke. It's not victorious at all. Yet because of this inner struggle that people have and the lie that they believe, is one of the major reasons that people are limited in being set free from sin and secondly, from operating as Jesus did in this world. Do you really believe as Jesus is, so are you in this world?
0: Yeah, taking that passage from First John out of context. As Jesus is, so are you in the world. So Jesus was sinless, so you uh, got you got to be sinless too. Yet the clear passages I just quoted, in fact, the one where Jesus teaches us to pray daily to forgive us our sins. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. You what you're doing here is known as sophistry. This is demonic sophistry, and what you're teaching these people is cutting them off from the grace and mercy that is in Christ.
5: So, whatever we believe that we haven't been completely set free from sin, we expect to sin.
0: No, Paul makes it clear that the reason why we sin is because we still have sin dwelling in our flesh, in our members. That's what Romans 7 says.
5: But if we believe, it's all in what you believe. If you believe a lie, you're going to live a lie. But if you believe the truth, then you'll live the truth. Amen. And the truth is this.
0: So the reason why the Apostle Paul struggled with sin in Romans 7 is because he believed a lie. And yet God the Holy Spirit had him pen Romans 7 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That makes no sense.
5: In Romans 6 verse 19 it says so clearly, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you have presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness, that's what you used to do, and of lawlessness, leading to a more, law, leading to more lawlessness. So now, in your new life, present your members as slaves to righteousness. There is no reason for you to sin because living under lawlessness was your old.
0: Can I just point out the obvious? The apostle Paul is writing that to Christians as well. If they weren't sinners, why would he need to tell them that? Hmm. Just saying
5: life but you've been set free from that life you, there's no longer sin in you and so there's no reason for you to present your members to unrighteousness
0: Paul never says in Romans 6 there's no longer sin in you, in fact Romans 7 makes it clear that sin still dwells in our members, in our flesh uh huh, what you just said you inserted something into Romans 6 that isn't there, which Romans 7 by the way explicitly takes away from you uh, Mr.
5: Zelley you can now present your members to righteousness and become um, slaves of righteousness. Hallelujah. And Jesus is our example. It says in 1 Peter 2 verse 21, it says this, For this you were called because Christ who suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Did Jesus sin?
0: No, because he's the sinless, spotless lamb of God. He's God in human flesh.
5: Well, I'll just read that scripture again. Maybe you're not convinced. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, it says this. For just... Yeah,
0: since you're, re- you're rereading scripture again, let me reread 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Where did I put it? He, uh, <laughs> I better pull it up over here then. 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Quoting 1 Peter out of context doesn't negate what John says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Yeah, Mr. Zelli, you're showing yourself to be one who does not have God's word in you, and you're self-deceived.
5: As you recall, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His footsteps. Did Jesus sin? Should we sin?
0: No one's saying we should sin. By the way, First John chapter two kind of makes the next part of the point. First uh, John chapter two, John writes to the Christians, "My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father." Jesus Christ the righteous, he's the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I think you get the point that, yeah, Scripture is making it very clear that we Christians still struggle with sin and against sin and fight against it because our sinful nature still exists.
5: 1 John 4, verse 17, it says this, Love has been perfected amongst us. We may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Yeah,
0: you'll notice 1 John four seventeen. John is not going to undo what he said in, in you know, chapter 1, verses 8, and 10, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just read the rest of the book, Daniel.
5: In 1 John, verse 2, verse 6, and I'm throwing out some scriptures here. Out but of am...
0: context, ignoring their meaning, and ignoring that the very books you're quoting, when you, put it, when you read the whole thing out, they say the exact opposite of what you're saying.
5: Dealing with what I believe is the fundamental, biggest lie of Christianity. And so I'm confronting it with the Word of God. Amen.
0: No, you're not. You're confining it with God's word out of context, which is what the devil does. And First John one makes it clear you are self-deceived.
5: So, one John uh, two verse six says this: He who says he abides in Him himself also. Uh, so, he who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. So, what do you believe? Well, Faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things unseen. If you underneath believe that you haven't been totally set free from sin and you live in that lie, then it will be impossible for you to overcome sin and it will also be impossible for you to operate with a free conscience in the world of the miraculous and the supernatural because you believe somehow that you need to earn the favor to do so. But let me tell you, you are a saint saved by grace. Sin has been dealt with, is no longer in you and you have full access and full right as a child of God to live as God commanded you to live
0: amen yeah, like I said first John one eight through ten says this guy is self-deceived and God's word does not dwell in him literally and and you'll note then that the solution for our sin problem according to you know Daniel Zelli is to deny that we even have one rather than confess our sin and to be forgiven different gospel altogether. And this touches on not something that's a secondary issue in Christian doctrine. This is primary. This is a different gospel. This is a different solution to sin. And Daniel zelli according to the Apostle John, is self-deceived, and God's Word does not dwell in him. Very sad indeed. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard... On this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at TalkBackAtFightingForTheFaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we'll be listening to another sermon from Daniel Dixon. This one, New Apostolic Reformation, Paradigm Shift. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are
7: ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. You're listening to Byron Christian Radio.
6: Hey, everyone! It's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So, not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some that's g-i-l-l-e-s-p-i-e dot coffee rex out
7: hey you yeah you listening to this program right now have you ever found yourself wishing there was more fighting for the faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends well you're in luck Because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, exclusive Skype interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe.
0: review time. As we're getting towards the end of the summer, it's like I'm scraping the, bottle of the uh, bottom of the sermonage barrel. Such is my life. Hey, ho. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the ministry page for Danielle Dixon. This is another sermon in the New Apostolic Reformation sermon series. This is part one in the series itself. We went out of order And uh, we've named this one Paradigm Shift. And it's just a complete delusional train wreck, best way I can put it. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here again is Danielle Dixon and her sermons on the New Apostolic Reformation. You have to say so called, but she's in it. So she seems to think it's real, which is really kind of fascinating if you think about it. But. Here we go. This
8: morning, last week I started talking about the new apostolic reformation, but I was really talking about what God is doing in the church all over the earth. It does pertain to our ministries, but it does pertain to something that he's doing all over the earth. Amen? So I'm going to be speaking for three weeks on this. So this week we're talking about the foundational roots of reformation, Next week we'll talk about the new and the old wine skin and then the third week we'll be talking about the vision of ark and how we are part of that. So it's very good for us to know who we are. If you don't have an identity of who you are, then you can just drift around not, you know, knowing exactly what you're supposed to be doing or how do you fit into this? So a lot of people say, well, why, you know, if it's not um, broken, you know, don't fix it or whatever people say. So why do we have reformation? First of all, I'm going to start by praying. I want everyone to pray with me that you have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying, because there's a part of you that will be connected to this vision. Amen. So Father, I just thank you right now. And it might not be a church life thing, could be a family life thing, could be a business thing. So Father, I just thank you right now that you will think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords. Holy Spirit, come the teacher of the church and minister. Go beyond even language, as We have people here where English is a second language, Lord. Father, I thank you that you will minister to us in such a way that we will know that we are your sons and daughters, that we are your family, that we have a mandate called from heaven to fulfill or establish your kingdom all over the earth. And Father, it's not about how many people are here today. It's not about... Um, you know, what What we can do in our little world, Father. It's what you can do through us. It's what you can do out of us, Lord God. And we just thank you, Father, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, it was at the turn, you know, I've written some different things here. People started to get stirred up. We've had reformers. So reformation is people that reform things. Amen. So There were reformers, who knows, Martin Luther, amen, hopefully. Who knows, John Wesley, hopefully, amen. There have been reformers over and over and over again through church history, amen. So what we saw was at the turn of this century, at the turn of 2000, it started in the 90s, really. People, who knows, in the 90s, pretty much everyone wanted to be a prophet because it was so new. The prophetic started to. Elijah was birth. Prophetic ministries were birthed all over the world.
0: Notice what she just said: that everybody want to be a prophet because it was what so new. By saying that, she is also tacitly admitting that these that prophets and apostles have been restored; that they have not been an ongoing thing in church history uh, you know, since the death of the apostles and have only just now in our lifetime been uh, brought back, at, you know, been restored. So it's fascinating that she is talking the way she is, and by talking this way, she is inadvertently admitting that the church has been without the five-fold ministry for two millennia.
8: And before that, if you said you were a prophet in the church, you almost got stoned, right? So well, so those things started to stir up in people and they knew that they needed change. They realized that there is something going on in the church body that's not transforming nations. It's not transforming cities. It's not transforming regions. Although it had grown, although it was a great administration structure for for what it was used for, there was a need for reform. So people were hungry and there was a stirring in their hearts. So reformation is not change. When we say apostolic reformation, you'll get to understand what that means. It's not change for the sake of change, okay? This wasn't once a bunch of dudes got together, big wigs from all over the nations and all um, movements and denominations said, just so bored, Let's just change everything. It's not like that at all. They weren't just, it wasn't change for the sake of change. It was change because they were hungry for God and they were crying out, what could we reform within the church structure to see the power of God all over the earth and not just in the leadership of a church or not just within the church walls? So, That it was, it really was a realignment of thinking to match the mandate of heaven. So who knows that heaven's mandate is to bring heaven to earth. We all know that. That's the Lord's prayer, isn't it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. That's the mandate. That's our mandate. So there was a realignment happening of thinking to match the mandate of heaven and there was a... You'll hear... Who's ever heard prophetic people say there was a paradigm shift? Has anyone ever heard that? Lots of people, you know, you'll see prophetic words saying it's a paradigm shift that's happening. Well, that it, that just doesn't mean there was a change of thinking. What that means is there was a change of language. There was a change of structure. The shift was to become a worldview. So example would be a big thing that's changed... In um, the church all over the earth, if they're flowing in the apostolic or flowing in the um, spirit of the Lord would be the way we worship. Because who remembers in the 90s, all the songs were about me, 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 how I'm an overcomer, how I'm victorious, how we did this and we can do that and we and stamp on the devil's head and blah, blah, blah. And who knows then at the turn of this century, 2000 for the last 18 years, we've got amazing people like Elevation and Bethel leading the way, Hillsong, all of that. What's it all about? The father, the father's love how he loves you, the grace of God, the mercy of God, calling us into relationship, reminding us that we're in a relationship with a loving father. Amen? So that was one of the things that happened. So a paradigm shift in the area of, of walking in an apostolic, um, I'll call it an apostolic spirit coming upon the church. It's not about apostles. We'll talk about just about apostles. We'll talk about that a bit further. So there's always seasons within the kingdom of God, as we know in Ecclesiastes 3. What does it say? Everyone know what that scripture says? There's a season for everything. That's what it says.
0: Right. That means there's a season for new apostles and stuff too. Who knew?
8: There's a season for everything under the sun. So I believe that at that, at that time, the body of Christ was really seeking out. We want change because we know something's not right here. We don't want to be a club. We don't want to be a group of people meeting in a building, that's awesome, that's great. We're not the Lions Club, we're not the footy club. We want to actually influence and transform cities and transform nations. And you know that happens
1: in...
0: Yeah, we need to transform cities and nations. Yeah, so we need a new paradigm and there's a season for all of this apparently.
8: Individually, amen? We do it, when we come together like this, this is a corporate celebration. Hallelujah. Who knows? Any theologians in here know this is the dispensation of the church age. We're in it right now. We're not going to have the church age again. When we're raptured out of here, there's no more church age.
0: Don't even get me started on this.
8: Man, it's just the sons and daughters with God before the throne of God, it says, like a sea of people. Amen? Hallelujah. So there was an awakening in their hearts And part of that awakening was what is missing in this picture? What is missing? We've got leadership, you know, within our churches, but mostly, most of it was one person leading and they they understood this isn't going to work. All the pressure on one person, amen? Because they knew something was happening. I'd call these men and women of God, like Bill Johnson, they're part of the Apostolic Reformation, like Luton. Luke-
0: Notice she just said Bill Johnson's part of the New Apostolic Reformation. <laughs> Something he's been trying to deny. And and uh, Danielle Dixon, she's part of the movement, and she openly says that Bill Johnson's part of it. Weird.
8: Like Peter Wagner who's a very uh, well-known one, like Dutch.
0: Yeah, Lou Lou Engel, Dutch Sheet. She says they're all part of the New Apostolic Reformation. Somebody alert, Michael Brown. This this woman needs to be reprimanded. She's blowing their cover.
8: Uh, Like Cindy Jacobs, like all of those people that we know, prophetic and apostolic people in the earth today, that um, those forerunners... We're looking to transform by equipping God's people and making them realize you're not a bunch of spectators. You're supposed to be a participator. Amen. And that what you do in, what you do out there matters. That you don't have your little spiritual life here for two hours and then you go out for the rest of your 166 hours of the week. That you're out there where you're influencing people. Amen. So we are all influencers. Say this, I'm an influencer. Amen. What happened really was is these fathers and mothers of the body of Christ come together with that longing in their heart, that desire, with that prayer, with that intercession, seeking the Lord and Part of what they had been doing, I don't know if you know this, but Peter Wagner started the spiritual movement of spiritual warfare, prophetic spiritual warfare, that we know today, that we use in prophetic intercession at the beginning of 1990. So at the year 2000, for 10 years, they went into nations, they proclaimed, they did this, they did that, but they didn't see any change. They didn't see, so reformation has got a purpose. What is it? Transformation. They didn't see transformation. And that is when we talk about the hunger in their hearts. You're getting a really good history lesson because I wanted to bring it in a simple form that we really, really understood, you know, where God is leading us to. Amen. What What? What prophetic place is the church at? So we always heard people talk about the book of Acts, didn't we? And we know that it says that in Ephesians 2, 20 to 21, that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This is what they came back to when they were seeking the Lord. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So it-
0: notice she said they came back to it. See Peter Wagner and Bill Johnson and folks like that. Yeah, we, we apparently the church left that a long time ago, but they brought it back.
8: In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling. Amen. That's what God was looking for. God wasn't looking for an earthly building. He was looking for a dwelling place. A dwelling.
0: Yeah, what Paul wrote there is that that's what the church is and has always been. Yeah, that's not some new thing that God was looking for. You know, I wish I could be, a, you know, a, indwell a dwelling place like I used to at the time of the Apostle Paul and stuff. And I need to find a dwelling place now, but uh, everyone's in these buildings. This is nonsense. The church has always been the dwelling place in the temple of God.
8: Place, You know, that word tabernacle is, you can say, God, come and tabernacle with me. Come and dwell in my heart. Come and live through me. Come and fellowship an intimate relationship with me. Amen. So we always saw people talking about the apostolic and and um we know that an apostle is, it's actually a military term. It's a governmental office. But apostolic, when we talk about an apostolic anointing being on a church, we're not saying everyone here is an apostle. But in saying that, who knows that you can be an apostle of business. You can be an apostle of prayer. That means that you have a desire.
0: There is no such thing as apostle of business. That thing doesn't exist in scripture.
8: Your heart to get things started, but you've got the favor of God, the anointing of God. You could be an apostle missionary. You can be an apostle in all sorts of ways. So we know that apostolic people have a worldview. They're not insular. It's not all about them. So what what they came to um, their conclusion that set about this process in the earth, which was God, is that people in the church had apostolic um, anointings upon them to be able to teach, to be able to shepherd, to pray for the sick. And it doesn't mean that they're a fivefold pastor. Who knows that every person in the church should should be able to do those things? Because once upon a time, it was just all about, come to my church, we have the best preachers. We have the best music team. We have the best men's group. We have the best whatever. Come and get entertained. But it's not about that any longer. Who doesn't who who wants God, amen? Believe the whole of the earth is crying out for the sons and daughters of Yeah, I'm
0: pretty sure that uh people coming to church just to be entertained, that's still a thing. Yeah, it, it really is still a thing. We cover that a lot here.
8: God to be manifested. Amen. According to Romans um, 8, where it says that everyone is waiting. Hallelujah. Including us, the sons and daughters. I think it's really an identity crisis in a way, but we should be telling people just not come to church, but you need to be filled with Jesus. All the power that you need to overcome that addiction is in him. Go now for into all the world and preach it to someone else. Lay hands on the sick, amen. You, we're, we're supposed to be telling other people. That's what we're commissioned to rule.
0: Yeah, there have been people praying for the sick the entire history of the church. Yeah, that's been around for like the whole time.
8: Wayne, you guys are being amazing. I can tell when the Holy Spirit's ministering. As much as you draw on me is as good as the preaching is, okay, so never any blame around here. Ha ha ha. Apostolic thinking is a worldview mindset. They equip people to go into the world. Where, where's your world? Your world could be at Woolworths if that's where you work. Your world could be your family. Your world could be when you're at the beach, you know, wherever, go into all the world. I believe that scripture about the Great Commission in Mark 16, 15, isn't just saying, go to Africa, go to China, go here, go there. I'm loving that. I'm loving that people go all over the earth, amen, and preach the gospel. But I believe that's what's your world? What's your world? I believe that's go into society, subdue it, and rule over it. And that's the call of the church, amen? And we need to know that was the original call of mankind. He blessed us. We've been pretty good at being fruitful. And-
0: so the church is supposed to subdue the world. Who knew?
8: Increasing in the multiplying part, amen. Fill the earth and subdue it. That means, subdue means bring things under your control. You should walk into a place, you've got God on the inside of you, and I don't care if every other demon's got another plan, bring things into control. You could be walking into a business meeting, and you've got a plan of how much that business is worth, but the other people meeting with you, they have a plan of how much that business is worth. Bring things into control, amen. Bring things into control.
0: Which is another way of saying take dominion. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Note the dominionism that is part of, overtly a part of, the new apostolic reformation.
8: You have that ruling and reigning. You were called to rule and reign, amen. You were called. If we don't know it, how are we ever going to rule and reign? You won't. That's right. You've got to know it. It's an identity crisis. Hallelujah. So we saw in the book of Acts, when we talk about an apostolic reformation, this is why. We saw the apostles from Acts 5, 12, 2 Corinthians, so many scriptures, saying that the whole church was built on them, that signs and wonders happen. Basically, they started churches in every area that they went to. Then they assigned leaders and pastors to oversee that. Then they continually visited those churches. Why? To keep them on the kingdom track to keep the vision going hey fellas what did they come back and say through the epistle yeah and
0: since there were no apostles after the apostles they clearly lost the whole kingdom vision track thingy they utterly failed
8: paul kept writing listen dudes eat and drink before you come to church no good getting drunk at church on the wine and eating all the food um how about there's been too much gossip in the church other times you wrote to people about that he kept coming he was just trying to keep them keep with the program amen so if we compare the book of acts to the church today the main difference would be the structure because we see most of the time we see that pastors work you know are working alone and we know that that can be really 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 damaging Only about 3% or whatever it is, 2 or 3% of people are called to fivefold ministry. So how was that going to work out for the rest of everyone else? We're called to ministry outside. Amen. We're called to minister wherever we go. Hallelujah. Christ living on the inside of us. Amen. So what does that mean? Apostolic thinking believes that all fivefold gifts are used to establish the kingdom according to Ephesians 4:11 and 12 so Christ
0: yet you just admitted that all this stuff has been only recently restored so the church hasn't has literally been limping along for two millennia without the fivefold ministry
8: himself gave the apostles prophets evangelists pastors teachers now during the 90s and up to the 2000s we all heard about the pastor, didn't we? We all knew about the pastor's anointing, the gift that came from the Lord. The weight of it is something like it's something like 90% of all pastors have a breakdown. So many the percentage that leave the ministry is outrageous. We got a visiting evangelist now and then, so we sort of knew what evangelists were, right? And they might have come in and done some healing or whatever. Teachers, not so much, and I really believe that we haven't seen the reformation of full fivefold teachers in the church yet. And I'm
0: yeah, we haven't seen the full restoration of it yet.
8: Leaving for that, and so are lots of other people in this movement across the earth. Then we started to see prophets. It was popular; everyone was a prophet. Prophets started to arise everywhere, and we and then we started to realize pastors and prophets can work together. So we saw that happening. And then we realize, but still only in the last maybe 10, 12, years, probably 12, 15 years, actually, apostles started to rise up after prophets and apostles. and
0: Notice what she said. She openly admits that only in the last decade or so, apostles finally began to rise up. Uh-huh. And yet, you know, if if the fivefold was intended to be there for the whole time, you know, and the church can't function without it, How come we went 2,000 years without apostles and prophets?
8: Prophets were working together and not the pastors. And only in the last few years we've seen this come together in apostolic prophetic hubs where the whole five-fold ministry is working together. But if you don't have that, that's okay. You get in relationship with people that do. And that is why we are in relationship with other apostles and prophets because there is safety in a multitude of counselors. Amen. Or you get around other prophetic people or you uh, as pastors, we, we mix every week we meet and minister and talk to other pastors in the city. And that's a good thing, encouraging one another, building one another. And that is part of being the family of God because the fivefold ministry working together equips the sons and daughters to have personal relationships with Jesus, move in their gifts and callings. Apostolic churches, by the way, I have to say this, don't have any other doctrines but the Bible. Um, you know, we say we're an apostolic church. Oh,
0: hog war hogwash, hogwash. That's just not true. We've heard a bunch of doctrines that aren't in the Bible being spewed from your mouth over the last 2 days
8: just means we believe in the fivefold gifts being in the house of God and being used in the house but we believe more they need to be used outside the house amen hallelujah and so the difference would be we our purpose and destiny we believe isn't just inside these four walls everyone said amen the core belief that God's kingdom lives on the inside of us. We can establish the kingdom rule as we go into all the earth influencing society. No longer do we have to feel, you know what? When I was a new Christian, if you didn't come and serve in the church, if you didn't become the pastor of the church, if you didn't become this or that, you were thought of as spiritually weak or spiritually backslidden, or spiritually non-existent, or something, I don't know. But that is not true. We need spiritual people in the community representing who we are, amen. You know, that's why people think that Christians have two heads and are really wacky, because they just think of them inside these four walls, and they don't realize They're normal people that function in families and lives and have businesses and have jobs and have relatives and have problems. (laughs) And everyone said amen to that, amen. Hallelujah. So this is a really, um, I'll just read that scripture before I go on. So Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 said this. So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip his people for the worker's service. It never, ever said he gave one pastor for one church or a couple of sets of pastors to wear them out and to ruin their lives so that they wouldn't have any social life and they wouldn't have...
0: Yeah, that's, again, you're not dealing with the fact that you just admitted that uh, apostles and prophets have only recently, super recently been supposedly restored to the church and that the church has somehow existed for 2,000 years without them. Uh Uh-huh.
8: Fun, and all they did was work 24-7. No, sorry, guys. Show me that scripture. It's not in there, amen. He said he bought them all for the work of the service, so the body of Christ may be built up. So, basically... Before we go to this part, I just wanted to say this. It's up to 75% of ministries, pastors, and priests. Hey, I got Australian figures, not American figures. 75% suffer from stress-related issues, says a psychologist researching clergy concerns, and up to 25% of them have taken stress leave or suffered bad burnouts. So that's a, that's a lot. And why was that? Because that old model doesn't work. That old model just kills all the people in the leadership, all the people in the pastoral roles, and it puts an emphasis on them. You've got to be...
0: Yeah, um, you can sit there and point to burnout all you want, but the reality of the situation is this, is that the apostles did not place any successors uh, for their apostolic ministry into office because... Their office was closed. Yeah, and uh, the prophetic abilities of the people in the New Testament, they had to have apostles lay their hands on them in order to receive that gift. And then once the New Testament was finished, yeah, the, the job re- relied then on pastors to preach the apostolic and prophetic word that was deposited in the church. Uh-huh. And it's been pastors who've been doing that job now for two millennia, yep, yeah, that's exactly how that works so uh and the apostles and prophets are still doing their work through the inspired, inerrant written word of God. You got a problem, lady. You're just spewing the stuff off the top of your head and not actually teaching what God's Word teaches regarding the pastoral office and its function within the institution known as the church. Which by the way is established by God.
8: Good and we'll do what we want. And all the pastors in here went, Amen. It's exactly what it said. You've gotta all the leadership, you've gotta perform a certain way, but we can do whatever we want and we can judge you. And that is not that is not what the word of God says. Amen. Hallelujah. It says we are all sons and daughters of God. We are all responsible, amen, for the kingdom of God being established in this earth. It's established through you having the kingdom of God live in you. You step into a place and that kingdom rule walks in the room. The king has dominion. and the more
0: No biblical text says that either.
8: Dominion he has on the inside of you the more dominion he has in every place that you go. Amen. That's why the Lord said to Moses, everywhere you tread your foot will be yours. Man, we just got to know how powerful we are. We just got to know how powerful we are. We're worried about getting over an addiction. We're worried about paying a bill when we have God living on the inside of us. Think about that. Just this weekend, the Lord had been saying that to me. He said, "The kingdom of God is within you." Like nothing.
0: Yeah. So God told you that, huh? So she hears directly from God too. Yeah, she's an apostolic person, you know.
8: Is important. Why do you make such a big deal out of things that are not important? Well, we all do that, amen. Some of us are more drama queens than others. Hallelujah. The vision is to transform not just inside the church of apostolic reformation but everywhere. I want you it's to talk about
0: the- transforming cities, transforming nations, transforming everybody and taking dominion.
8: The best marriage, if you know us, if you come and say something to us, we'll say your marriage is first. Put your marriage first. Put your children first, because that is the example of the kingdom, the whole kingdom. Or whether you're a grandparent, a great-grandparent, an uncle, an auntie, or whatever it is, amen, put the things in order, amen? We know God is always first, but then the family, and then your calling, then your business or whatever. So we see in the church here, the church was, who's heard of the church being called the Ecclesia, said that way? That was the Latin word, and that word Ecclesia
0: is Greek.
8: Actually, isn't the word that Jesus used when he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church? He used the ecclesia, which is the Greek word here, and that ecclesia is like an is like a um, a governmental. It is a governmental word. It's a governing body. The ecclesia. The
0: ecclesia is a congregation.
8: To be the governing body Cue on you, the-
0: sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique.
8: Uh, you, you're the ecclesia. I'm the ecclesia. Not this building, or when we get our own building, we'll be talking about getting our own building in the third um, part of this teaching. For because it says here, I love this Isaiah 9:6. He reminded me when I was writing this. He said, "The ecclesia, man that, the government will be on my shoulders. Where you go, you take the governing rule. Amen?
0: No. It's like she's utterly incapable of rightly handling even a single text.
8: In Isaiah 9, 6. Yeah, the
0: government is upon his shoulder, not mine.
8: And then Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Meaning, I will cover the earth with world-ruling and reigning influence in every sphere.
0: That's not what he means. That is not what he means.
8: ...of society, no matter what it is, and the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. I will establish government rule, not just politically, in every area. And hell, he didn't say... I will have buildings, people will gather in them, and that will overcome hell. He didn't say that. He just saw what he said. He said, I will.
0: Yeah, he didn't say what you said he said either. You don't know how to exegete, do you?
8: build my ecclesia i will build my governing body i want to bring heaven to earth can i get an amen in this place
0: um yeah he'll do that on the last day after he judges the living and the dead in the resurrection you know new heavens new earth heavenly jerusalem comes down out of heaven are you familiar with that part of scripture
8: hallelujah thank you jesus thank you lord So we know that these are the seven societal um, places where we can rule and reign in the Lord.
0: Uh, Notice seven mountain dominionist talk here in the basics of the New Apostolic Reformation sermon that she's giving. The seven mountains show up, and we're supposed to rule in the reign in those seven mountains.
8: Religion. There, the, the house of the Lord's important. We're supposed to come together, testify, worship, encourage one another. But then we're supposed to go out all week and represent who we belong to, the King. Amen. Family, education, politics. So, you know, it was just looked upon. If you were an actor or something back in the old wineskin, you could have thought, well, that's of the devil. Hollywood's of the devil. Hollywood's only of the devil. If you're making it the devil, you can use it for the kingdom of God. Back in the day, who's heard this? State and church are separated. You can't be a politician and love God. Who knows that we need politicians, amen, ruling and reigning. The word of God says, where the righteous rule, the people rejoice.
0: Amen. Notice in the NAR dominionist way of thinking, there is no separation between church and state. Yeah, yeah. If the NAR ever takes over the world, it'll be like the worst Sharia ever
8: who knows that we need we need people in every area we need people within academia we need doctors we need accountants we need lawyers we need people in every single area we need people that administrators and overseers and CEOs and general managers because how are you going to get things changed? in structures if we don't have people infiltrating them that can make the right laws do you know it's a lot
0: don't you think christians already work in places like this already
8: <sighs> easier in parliament if you're voting on same sex marriage if you have 20 christians at the table than than 20 praying outside the room just so I tell you that you know, there's a lot more influence. Apparently,
0: they, they needed to stop the music for that.
8: And so if you're sitting at the table, amen, there's a lot more influence if you're inside don't the Don't worry.
0: Stra- more music is now playing.
8: He said, go and shine your light in a dark place and don't hide it, Amen. Amen. You know, some people go, I don't want to work there. Everywhere there's of the devil. Perfect. <laughs> You're in the perfect place. Amen. Hallelujah. And all of these seven mountains have one mountain over them. And what's that mountain called? The mountain of God. So we want to see the move of God, the uh, the presence of God, the glory of God over all of those seven mountains. And there's a scripture there that talks about now it will we shall can say in the last days we're in the last days that the mountain of the lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it can't you see that can't you see the nations of the earth are blending but just to have that influence of other nations coming in and telling us what's happening. So many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and we, and he will teach us his ways. Don't you want the ways of the Lord taught in, in, in Parliament? Don't you want Canberra? You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to lose my mind here
8: saying the lord's prayer before that so many people are always trying to chuck all this stuff out who knows if you exalt the lord this nation is one nation under god it has a constitution amen and we really really need to to stand on that so every kingdom will bow is that not what it says every kingdom will be defeated it says in daniel 2 44. It says, but the kingdom of the Lord, or shall we say the mountain of the Lord will be established forever and ever. That is the sure mercies of David. Amen. That's the lineage that we have. We are those people living in this time. It's so exciting. The original intention of, of the Ecclesia was to have a powerful governing body to transform all ruling and influencing groups of people in all those above mountains. Amen. What? Where are you getting that?
0: Unbelievable. Yeah, the yeah, overt dominionist theology here.
8: We need Brad Holtz as a counselor. We need Kathy Zeiger as a counselor. We need um, Bob Manning as, as the mayor of the city. Amen. Recently, they, the guys were involved in a prayer meeting with Dr. Kim. Twice now they've been involved. And it's been awesome. And they'll just humbly say to all the pastors "Represent, pray for us. It's difficult in there to get things done that we want done. You know, when you're a righteous person standing for the, the influence of God in the city, like you guys are in that area... It, all hell tries to come against you, doesn't it? But you know what the Word of God says? The ecclesia will will be victorious against the gates of hell. Do you know what gates mean? So they went outside of the gates of a city to judge people. That means the governing rule. It doesn't mean that literal gates, you know, the get, actual gates. It means the governing rule. Amen. So pastors can't do this alone. And that's why they're wanting we're wanting to equip. And, and we are. That's why we do push. That's why I'm doing restore. That's why we have the gatherings. That's Because that's part of the unity. That's part of the building. That's part of the encouraging of a whole city. So many people in the city have, have started to rise up in these gifts. Amen. And it's just been amazing. And a lot of it has to do with peer encouragement. You can do this. This is what God's called you to do, amen? Apostles and the fivefold ministers are commissioned to establish the church, amen? The ecclesia, the governing body, commissioned to people to go out into the marketplace, use their gifts, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So the new apostolic reformation, we don't really call that. I just say it's an apostolic spirit upon the church or an apostolic prophetic Um, center or hub is all about God's spirit moving among people in the marketplace so that they start to see their ministry and calling is worthy to be embraced as a spiritual calling whether it be being a gardener, working at Woolworths, being a school teacher, being a mum in the house or whatever you're doing, does it matter? You are the ecclesia, you are the governing body going wherever. Or if you're a businessman, covering the, carrying the favour of God. So when we hear about a church embracing it to be an apostolic hub, it's not we're not trying to be something that we're not called to be. We're not trying to be, oh, I think we'll do that. No, this is what we're actually, this is the commission of all the earth. Is everybody doing it? Not necessarily, but bit by bit, People are moving into realizing that this is what we're called to do. From the year 2000 to now, when we've first heard of these um, this type of language, really, we have seen more and more men and women in the marketplace realize their high calling. You know, there are now. I love it. Don't you love expression? And this is, it has been embraced by local church leaders. But I think we're seeing it. Not everyone has embraced it, but we're seeing it more and more because God's dropping blueprints to transform cities and nations. With the...
0: <laughs> God's dropping blueprints to transform cities and nations. <sighs> Strong delusion. Strong delusion.
8: Watchmen.org coming here in September... They don't just have a plan of this is a one-time hit, we're here for three days. They said, they are actually, they've got intercessors praying, like 5,000 or something, praying everywhere that this will change this this whole region, that this will become the gateway to um, the South Pacific Rim, as we believe that Kansas, that people will come in here and go out of here.
0: Well, there you have it. Um, No biblical text was rightly handled. We heard nothing about sin, repentance of sin, the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. Yeah, none of that. Uh, We heard straight up like a primer on the New Apostolic Reformation. And all of the doctrines and focuses and beliefs that uh, Michael Brown says don't exist, she was just so candidly preaching and teaching How helpful was that? Mm -hmm. And she's in the movement. I mean, she's regularly featured on the Elijah List. I think you get the point, but very eye-opening. And the best way I can say it, these people are under a strong delusion, a delusion sent by God as judgment against them for not believing the truth. That's literally what we're dealing with here. So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at com. or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pyro Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on
5: the cross for all of your sins. Amen.